Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is Matthew McLaughlin. Good morning, Jeremy. Before we get started today, Matthew's going to explain to us scientifically why the space junk, Chinese space junk landed in exact spot it did in the Indian Ocean and why we shouldn't have never panicked in the first place. So, Matthew, it, you got the floor. Oh, I got the floor now? <laughs> because God said so. Uh, you're you're going with the Sunday school answer, I yes, see. Yes, I am. So, well, that's all you're going to get. So, if... I would suggest CNN, but they probably wouldn't give you the scientific answer anyway. No, that would probably be Trump's fault. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I guess since you aren't going to discuss that, we'll we'll look at the Lord's Prayer then. That sounds like a better plan. <laughs> All right, so for the past couple of weeks, we've been discussing the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in the first week, we talked about the context and really an overview of the Lord's Prayer. We spent some time looking at the context of the Lord's Prayer and the the verses that precede the actual prayer itself teach us how we're not to pray. We're not to pray like the hypocrites and we're not to pray like the pagans. The hypocrites prayed to be seen. The pagans prayed with lots of words thinking they needed to beg and plead to get the attention of their deity or deities. But the Lord's Prayer shows us a different way. Jesus shows us a different way to pray. And so last time we looked at the preface, Our Father in Heaven. Uh, We looked at the first three petitions uh, where we ask God to hallow his name, uh, that his kingdom come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've, we've looked at all of this and now we're ready to look at the last three petitions But uh, I think Matthew's going to read the whole Lord's Prayer for us, though. Yes, let's read the whole Lord's Prayer again. It's in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, where Jesus says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, so the fourth petition is in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, their daily bread is a difficult, in Greek, it's difficult to translate, so the best we can do is daily bread. And even though it's difficult to, to translate exactly what it means, uh, we get the idea. It's Bread is the basic food for life. You could say bread and water, basic food and drink. You need these in order to live. They're necessities, physical necessities. If you don't have food and you don't have water, and there's other things as well, but if you don't have food and water, you're not going to survive for very long at all. So this is, generally speaking, a prayer for the things that are necessities. And we can talk about that. We'll talk more about what a necessity is in a minute. But I honestly think that this petition is probably the hardest one for us to pray. Because are you worried about where your next meal is coming from, Matthew? No. No, neither am I. And I, and 
all my life I've never even had to worry about where my next meal comes from. So, as Westerners in a very prosperous nation, I think we struggle to see how dependent we are on God. When the folks to whom Jesus was directly speaking to and the early Christians would have got this because they were they were dependent on the cycles of the season. If they had a bad season, they may not live through it. We don't face those kind of things for the most part in America. I'm not saying that no one does, but generally speaking, we don't have a problem with this. One of the things that I encourage people to do when we're talking about this petition is to make it a time especially of giving thanks to God for providing all the necessary things that we have. Because even though you go to Walmart or Meyer or Kroger or Holdies or wherever you go to get groceries, it is God working through people to get those crops produced, harvested, canned, or packaged would be a better word to say, and distributed to the place where you can get them. God is at work in the whole process to get that to your table. God is even at work in the parents who go to the store and buy the food and, and put it on the table for food. So we need as Americans especially to reflect on the fact that it's God who brought this food to us and gave us everything that we need. Yeah, I think it's important as we think about this petition to reflect on the fact that this petition is calling us to a dependence that we're not necessarily accustomed to. We don't have, if we're honest, we don't have to be dependent upon God for our stuff. We, we can get, we can believe that we think we, we, but we, right, we think we don't need to be dependent. It's a better way of saying it. We think we don't need to be dependent upon God for our stuff because we go to work, we make money, we buy stuff. And so it's easy for us to fall into the trap of not understanding that everything we need ultimately comes from God because everything we everything comes from God. And so I think this is Jesus trying to help us to remember that he's calling us to a, a dependence that is a necessity for the Christian. Right. It's not optional even in a prosperous nation like the United States. Right. So with with that caveat, I let's talk about what necessities are cuz uh I've often hear comments uh, like when the electricity goes out, well, we don't know we don't know how to live without electricity, and it's as if electricity is uh, isn't really necessary. We can live just fine without it. And there's a way that that's right, because there was life before electricity. There was life, a lot of life. Electricity is a relatively new invention, so it's not absolutely essential. But the way things are wired pun intended, in our, in our society, for there not to be electricity is very bad news it's for a long period of time. You can endure for a couple hours, a couple days, but for a long period of time, especially in the middle of the winter, that can be devastating. And it's because we're not, it's not like we're set up 
with a backup method for long term. The reason I bring that up as an illustration, there are necessities, things that you cannot live without, and no human civilization has ever lived without. Food, water, shelter, clothing, those things are essential. You cannot do without them. Uh, Air and, and other things as well, but physical things is what we're talking about. But there's other things like electricity. There are alternative ways... So the first category would be absolute needs, that you can't sustain life without these things, okay? The second category would be relative needs, that because of the way our society is shaped, these are things that you need in order to thrive, I think is a, is a good word to describe it. So in one of the ways I told, I've told people to test this is... If you can live without it, then it's and and never have to borrow it from someone else, then you're pro- then you probably it's probably not a necessity. So like you don't have to have a cell phone, you don't have to have a landline. You can survive without that. But try applying for a job and not having a phone. You're going to have to borrow someone's phone or use their number. Owning a car or cars aren't absolutely necessary. We went, the human race has went centuries without a car. But try, <laughs> try not having a car today as a as a way to transport yourself. You may say, "Well, there's there's Uber and Lyft, and you can yes, but you're in a car. You may not necessarily have to own one yourself, but." Someone has to have one. Um, you may be able to catch a ride from your neighbor, but you still need it. So there's, there, to me, there's two levels of needs, and, there, and they are real needs that you can't really live without. I think it changes, you know, as technology changes, there becomes new relative needs. Because even the Internet, although you can live without it just fine, the Internet is... It's to the place really where you need uh, try pl- applying for a job without an internet connection. Now you can go to your local library, use their computers and their internet connection to do that. But you see, you're still using an internet connection. So I think it's important to see that because people end up saying a lot of uh, silly things. Like our former president, George W. Bush, saying we're addicted to oil. Yes, we're addicted to needing transportation to get from one place to another. So these things are necessities, not absolute necessities like food, shelter, and clothing, uh, and something to drink. But they are nonetheless necessities. And I think that's included in this category under physical needs that we need to pray for. Sorry, I'm long-winded, Matthew. That's I didn't okay. give you a chance. <laughs> That's fine. I, I do think, just to look at the other side of the coin, while, while everything you said is right, I think the challenge for us is to understand there are absolute necessities. There are, like you were talking about, things that have become necessities, realistic necessities. And then there's the third category, which in my mind are the things we try to turn, tell ourselves are necessities <laughs> that aren't necessarily necessities. And so I think it goes back to us 
understanding what belongs in what category and then how we relate to each one of the categories. So in other words, when Christ tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he, so if we take the idea of transportation, yes, we need transportation. That transportation doesn't have to be a brand new car. And it doesn't need to be a Rolls Royce right. either. It needs to be transportation. <laughs> and so I think that's the the challenge here is for us to understand what this looks like is that we're dependent upon Christ and God to meet our own physical necessities. But in his way and in his timing and with what he provides us, and therefore we should be grateful and thankful for what he gives us, not grumbling that it's not exactly what we want. Right. And one other thing that I want to point out from this is he says that we're to pray for our daily bread. I think this passage of Scripture makes it pretty plain that we're to be praying on a daily basis. And although I'm not going to talk about that for a long time, I, I think that is important to see. Yes, I would concur that it's the daily is important because it, if nothing else, the daily enforces the idea that we should, back to what we talked about before, it's this dependence, it's this consistent state of dependence we have on God that every day we're dependent upon him for all that we have in the day. And so we're constantly going back and asking him to give us our daily bread. All right, so the the next petition is about forgiveness. So verse 11, the fourth petition is about physical needs, and the remainder of it is about spiritual needs. So in the, in the fifth petition, in verse 12, we pray for our forgiveness of sins. And then verses 14 and 15 that follow uh, the Lord's Prayer actually further expound on that verse. And part of the reason is is because it's that, it says, and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And so some some people jump to the conclusion that means if I don't forgive, then I'm not forgiven, or that salvation is somehow dependent on your forgiveness of others. And we'll get into that, but this really is seeking forgiveness for our sins. In verse 12, they're called debts, and they're called debts because as creations of God, we owe obedience to God, and when we fail to give what we owe, we are indebted. We're seeking God's forgiveness for the debts that we've incurred, the places where we have not obeyed him as we should. And we're indebted to God for that. And then in verse verses 14 and 15, uh, they use, it uses the word trespasses. To understand this, just think of Think of the law as a fence, and that God has fenced you in with his law for, for our protection. To trespass is to climb the fence and go out of there. You're going out of bounds. So we're seeking forgiveness because we owe obedience to God, and we failed to give that obedience. And we're also seeking forgiveness because we have, we have gone beyond God's law and violated his holy law. And so as Christians, we need to come and continually seek that forgiveness. One reason we needed to point out in the previous petition that it was daily, we're, we're seeking daily forgiveness for sins as well, because we sin regularly. 
daily. Now, there are some Christians who make it sound as if we reach a certain point where we never sin, but apparently Jesus didn't think that was going to happen when he taught us how to pray. Uh, He seems to think that we need ongoing forgiveness for our debts and our trespasses, and has included this petition as as an encouragement to do so, that we continue to seek forgiveness for our disobedience. And this disobedience doesn't have isn't in our actions, but in thoughts, in our attitudes, in our motivations, and, and really, that's probably where we fail the most. Not that we don't fail in our actions a lot, but <laughs> inwardly we probably fail more than we do outwardly. And and when we do f- fail outwardly, it's usually because we failed a long time inwardly. That's really where where the battle is. So we need to be seeking forgiveness for our sins daily, regularly, because we continually need cleansing. Right. I think... One of the things for us to understand just from a historical context is we hear this forgive us our debts as we as we also have forgiven our debtors, and we don't necessarily understand how big of a deal debt was in Roman culture. So honestly, if you committed a crime in Roman culture, they killed you. <laughs> so the prisons that were full of people were full of people who had debt. They were all debtors' prisons, so they would put you in jail and make you until your family could could raise the money to pay off the debt, and then they would let you out. Debt is a much more of a major deal in Roman culture than it is in our culture today, and so when Jesus says, "Forgive us our debts," as we have also forgiven our debtors, it's a very important idea to understand that how important forgiveness is, because otherwise, even probably the most famous parable Jesus tells is about forgiveness, about the man who, the man who has this large debt and he's forgiven by the master of the house, but then he finds somebody who owes him very small amount of money and he just acts very harshly to him. And so the owner finds out and puts that servant in jail because he didn't demonstrate this. So Jesus is constantly going back and talking about forgiveness. And so just to set that historical context, the other piece that goes back to something Jeremy already said is if you look at the preposition, it says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven. It doesn't say because. It's not a cause and effect situation. It's not this idea that, God, you forgive me because I've forgiven other people. That's not what this is, because if that's true— then what you base what Jesus would basically be saying is that salvation is works based. Mm-hmm. That because I do something, therefore God owes me something. But rather, what Jesus is saying is is that the gospel is that I ask God to forgive me of my sins, not because of who I am, but simply because of who he is and because of his character and what he accomplished. And so I have to understand the difference. So one of the ways we can look at this petition is we can see the gospel in this petition. I think it's important for us to see the gospel in this petition. Right, and I I think the point of that parable, and I think the same as this petition, is that forgiven people forgive. Right. And so if you've experienced the grace of God, that will change your heart towards other sinners as well. And I think that's the point. I don't, 
I definitely don't think, because the whole Bible is against salvation through works. Um, so I definitely don't think that's the point. The other thing I would say is, this is really a check yourself. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a it's a examination before you ask forgiveness and a time to repent. Because do you really want God to forgive you as you forgive other people? What you're asking God is, if you give limited forgiveness, then God give me limited forgiveness as well. Right. So it's it's a petition, but at the same time, it's challenging you. Right. And that's a good challenge. It is. <laughs> it ties back into the one we just talked about, whereas we're dependent upon God to meet our physical needs, we're equally dependent upon God to meet our spiritual needs. So the, we're, we are dependent upon God that if God doesn't bring, give us forgiveness and be, by that forgiveness pour out grace and mercy on our lives, then we are doomed, just as just as doomed as if God doesn't provide us those necessities that we need to sustain life. Right. But that leads us then to the third petition. Third petition, the sixth petition, the third petition today, the sixth <laughs> petition overall in the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Where do we want to start, Jeremy? Well, this is I, this is always a difficult one for me. But so we're asking the Lord to keep us from temptation, keep a, or it could even be translated as trials. So we're asking God to keep us out of those situations where will be tempted or where we'll be tried, and we may fail. So we're seeking God's help in those times of affliction, whether it's affliction because of circumstances in our lives or whether it's affliction because the devil and his demons are trying to turn us to sin. Finally, he says, but deliver us from deliver us from evil. That could also be translated as deliver us from the evil one. So it's not just evil as an abstract idea, but evil as in being personified in the devil himself. So this prayer request is asking for help in temptations so that you don't become indebted to God and so that you don't transgress his law. We're asking, seeking God's help in that. The difficulty is, of course, it says it's asking God not to lead us into temptation, which makes us ask the question, does God lead people into temptation? <laughs> in some sense, he obviously does. Uh, when Jesus was went into the wilderness, it was the Spirit that brought him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And in, in Mark's telling of it, uh, the way it's stated is it that the spirit like forcibly brought him there? <laughs> it was so it wasn't just a passive. Yeah, God's permitting this to happen. It was God actively putting Jesus in this situation to be tempted. So there's a lot of theological um, wrestling that we have to do with this. I think I don't know if you have anything to say specifically about that, but I think. Part of the struggle is is we have to make sure we keep our words defined. So 
the easiest way for me to look at it is you can translate the same Greek word as temptation and trial. That's part of the, our struggle. So as an example, if you go to James 1, you'll see trials and temptation there, and you can translate the word, the Greek word is translated both ways. So that adds to our confusion and difficulty. Right. So one of the easiest ways for, that I keep it straight in my head is it says there in James 1 that God does not tempt us. God is not tempted by evil, neither tempteth he any man. So you have that. So then how does how does all of this fit together? Because the Bible always makes sense. One thing I think you can say is that God is not the primary agent in the temptation. Correct. Correct. I, what I would argue is that God doesn't tempt us. God tests us. God tries us. Because ultimately, tempting and trials, sorry, sorry, trials and testing are external. Temptation is what results inside of me that because of primarily because of the testing and the trial. So whatever happens to me, how do I respond? The response can be a temptation, and that temptation, ultimately what comes out of me, can lead to sin, but that's me choosing to go to sin. So I can't say God made me sin. I can't say that it was what God did, because ultimately it's what I choose. So what I when I read this part, what I think about is that lead us on to temptation is a challenge, but I th- that what it what I think what he's saying is that he that we wouldn't be allow ourselves to be placed into situations where we would choose to be tempted, to choose to negate that dependence that we're supposed to have on God. I think. Yeah, that's why I have you around, Matthew. Help Do me what out I with can. stuff like that. <laughs> Do what I can. So, right. So then you get to the second part. So I'll jump in here and let Jeremy kind of finish out what he thinks on the second part. So the second <laughs> I don't know that I have So any the good second thought. phrase, but deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. The one caveat to talk about here is I think there's two pitfalls we can fall into when it comes to the evil one. One is we act like Satan doesn't even exist and like it's no big deal and I'm saved, so I'm good. So I'm perfectly fine. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm just gonna go live my life. Well, that's a mistake. I also think it's a mistake to fall into the pitfall where I think Satan is constantly attacking me and he's as equal to or more powerful than God in my practical thinking. And you see him like a demon behind every bush, basically. Satan's just everyone, and he's doing, and God's just doing everything he can to rally to figure out the solution of what he's, how is he going to stop this problem? Well, that's not the right way to look at things either. And so... I think one of the steps that I have to have in my mind as I approach this is that I have a proper understanding of Satan. Yes, he's real, but yes, God is more powerful than him. He, God always will win. He, he's already demonstrated that. We've talked about that before in other episodes. That's ultimately what it means to believe the gospel, that Jesus wins. Jesus defeated death and Satan and sin and everything else. And so I have to have that understanding and that I would, so the phrase, what I lean to thinking the phrase means, deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one, is that I wouldn't give in to that which Satan would try, tempt me to do, to have me fail and have me to sin. And that that 
is the problem and the struggle that I have to seek to fight, which ties back into what we've talked about on both of these. It's back to this dependence that I'm dependent upon God, that if I don't stay dependent upon Jesus and dependent upon the Father, then I will be tempted and led astray and that Satan will accomplish what he wants in my life, which is a possibility even for a Christian. I think 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is relevant here to what you're saying. It says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. So this prayer really is a way of praying that. We're praying, give me that escape hatch. Right. <laughs> Give me the wisdom to see it. Help me not to be blinded by my own sin so that I, I miss the escape hatch you're giving, given or stay there a little bit too long before the escape hatch is gone. And I've fought, and then there's no way out. I think that really pr- ties into what we're talking about here well. Yeah, I think it does too. And so then... With the few minutes we have left, there's one last thing we need to talk about. And that is, we didn't read it in, when we read the Lord's Prayer these last few weeks, we were reading it out of the English Standard Version. But there's a phrase that's attached, a doxology that's added, especially in a King James and a New King James, that says this. So the doxology is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So even though it's not in our translation, it still historically is attached to the Lord's Prayer. So, Jeremy, what are we to make of this? Well, I'll tell you what I think you're to make of what it actually says. We don't have the time today to explain why it's in some versions and it's not. This is true. But I will say it's not a sinister plot of the evil one in case someone is tempted to think... (laughs) That, that kind of thing. The doxology is a way to close the prayer and praise. And I think it's a good example for us to follow. If we're using the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer, which nobody argues against, and which Matthew and I are suggesting that that's what you need to do, and one of the reasons you need to understand it is to use it as a model prayer, then it models for us that we need to end the prayer in praise. That happens in the Psalms, too. The psalmist quite often starts out the psalm saying, Where are you, God? Why aren't you helping me? But then by the end of the psalm, he's praising God. And I think so. this is what we're seeing in the Lord's Prayer as well, that it ends in doxology. It ends in praise to God. And so it says, Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And the point is, it's saying that The kingdom belongs to God, all the power belongs to God, and all the glory belongs to him. So God is a glorious and powerful king, and you're recognizing that at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And he is all of those things forever and for eternity. So, I mean, you can see where king, kingdom fits into the Lord's Prayer, um, he talks about your kingdom come in there. Saying God has all the power 
means that whatever prayer request that you've requested, he has all power to accomplish it. And when God answers your prayer, whether he answers it positively or negatively, it is all ultimately to his glory, honor, and praise. That's what I have to say about it, unless you have anything to add. No, I think that's good. I think one of the things for us to understand, just to remember, is I can't find it right now as I was looking. I probably should have written it down, but I forgot. Is that it almost is exactly a quote that David gives in Chronicles. Yes. So it almost matches. So it's not like, even though it's not in our version or our translation, it doesn't mean that somehow it's heretical or wrong or bad or anything. It fits with the theme and the flow of Scripture. And hopefully one of these days soon we're going to have an episode where we'll, we'll talk more about why this happens. But I think what you said is important for us to understand, that ultimately it's the summation, that everything in our prayer, our prayer ultimately flows out of who God is. And, we, and our goal is, it's a reiteration that you, to God belongs all the glory and all the power because we're praying for his kingdom to be accomplished. I think that's this just it's a good way to summarize everything we have just talked about. And it's good to recognize that as you close your prayer. Right. To recognize that God's sovereignty, his ability, and his beauty and glory at the end. Right. So we hope that we've encouraged you to think through the Lord's Prayer, and to find times and opportunities where we use it as a model, you use it as a model prayer, but you also just pray the Lord's Prayer because you've spent the time to think through these petitions and what they mean, and they reflect what your heart desires to cry out to God to tell Him. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. And please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.